join Advanced Fashion Disruption Thursday catch-up call. I will connect you now. We're not talking about your gig, though. But you have uh, well, a new gig. Are you, um, are you enjoying it? I, ha I have a gig. I'm enjoying it. I'm training right now. So um, that's nice. Um, all of my co-workers are really, really nice. It's super fast-paced, and it didn't really feel like it was... I was like, oh, I have to take a break. Yeah, let me continue but I'm not used this. to that. <laughs> I'm not well, used to know, taking there, breaks. There's the beauty of having been the, the job owner and the gig worker. We don't get the breaks. And when you're getting paid an hourly sum, you get the breaks and you get the lunch breaks and you get the perks. And, uh, and that's all kind of awesome. And then you definitely have money at the end of the week that you didn't have to give to other people who didn't work as hard as you. So I, I'm looking for work. Um, you know, I, I, the last time I talked to you, I, I, I came home from Texas to an eviction notice. So I've moved the majority of um, my ability to work, all of the fabric, all, I mean, all of the really, really, really irreplaceable stuff um, is now gone. And, and what's left that's irreplaceable, I could literally take out and... <laughs> that is so loud. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Oh my God, I'll, I'll get that out. I might, I'll you, mute you, myself. You, you usually mute yourself when you do some bizarre shit like that. Um, <sighs> no, but but like, but, but uh, and leave it in because people will get a laugh. I think that uh, what 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 is left that's super important and irreplaceable, I could just sit on the sidewalk with till a friend came and got me. My bed mm -hmm. is still here. Uh, and I still don't know when I actually have to physically leave. On the eviction notice, there was no date. Um, I do understand that in, in Detroit, they will have to come 24 hours before and post on my door that they're coming tomorrow to throw my shit out. So I will have 24 hours to get the rest of it out. We're going to move a bunch of my art out and daintier things out tonight in my friend's car. And then I have another friend coming tomorrow to help me move stuff out in his SUV. And that should pretty much put me in a place where I'm, I'm almost done. I'm going to leave the bed here until I know I have to leave because I sleep on the floor at my age. Mm -mm. Yeah. Besides, I, I could just drag the bed out and, and a block and a half down to the park and set it up and sleep in the park all day until somebody comes to get me. I'm, with, <laughs> with, 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 with Nellie, the the, uh, the military dog, I don't think anyone's going to bother me. She wouldn't have them. Tether them so, to the four corners. Yeah, tether them <laughs> to the four corners. No, I'll just give, give Nellie a big enough chain that she can get around the bed. And uh, But I don't, you know, it's not going to come to that. I'm, I'm pro annoyed. No. And, and you know this, I've, I've had some really difficult times processing some of this shit, but um, I've said right along that it was going to be fine. And if it's not fine, what comes after will be fine. And um, literally the day that I, I was looking to, like, where the fuck could I possibly go? A woman answered my Craigslist ad looking for a place to be. I placed it so long ago, Megan, I'd forgotten that I placed it. And she's like, I hope you haven't gotten too many weird responses. And I'm like, there was the guy that tried to get me to fix up a building for free so he could charge me to live in it. And then there was the guy in Columbus who was going to pay for me to come and live in Columbus and take care of me if I would make him my son. And I'm like, those are the only two responses I got. And then I completely forgot. So this is an artist from Denver. I uh, got her degree in art and painting from Denver University. She's sort of a punkety, rockety, witchety, kind of hippity. Um, and, and we're, we're 50, 56, a couple of years younger than me. Um, we've, we've met a couple of times. Um, she offered to come and pick me up when I dropped the moving truck off. And I, we went and looked at her house and she stopped to get gas. And I saw her looking into her different 
accounts to see how much money she had on which card. And I said, you know what? I've got more than you right now because uh, she's also gig working when she can. I said, I've got more than you right now. Let me let me put five gallons of gas in. That should cover you for uh, the trip and then, um, you know, to get you to your next gig. And last night we split a meal and um, really enjoying her company and think I could play with her. She has yet to annoy me, which is huge. <laughs> this is huge. <laughs> huge. Did I, did I tell you about the boy that fell into my life for three days? No. Uh, well, he's not a boy. I mean, he was he was probably in his mid-30s. He was a man. He was, he was a man. <laughs> but, but to me, mid-30s as a child. Um, yeah, I woke up. I woke up all tangled up with somebody who was spooning with me, and I felt really comfortable, and I liked them, but I had no idea who they were. None. I had not taken a drug. I was not drunk. I did not. I did not do any. It's it's the short term memory damage. I mean, it is sometimes I fall into a time hole and I don't know what happened in that hole. So I I, I literally say he's the, the the man that fell into my house. Mm-hmm. I, don't enjoy, I don't find a conversation on Grinder. I don't find a conversation in any of my emails. But I've got this hot guy that works uh, on cars who's six four. Eight uncut, beautiful inches, uh, shaved head, blue eyes, like 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 prison tattoos. I kind of feel like maybe we hooked up in the past, uh, and he ran into me on the street. But like he stayed here for three days, and finally he he wouldn't put the coffee cups away right or the spoons. And I said, "Look, um, I don't even know his name. I didn't ask him the entire <laughs> time because because I was embarrassed about not even. I had no idea." Oh, this and we had we fucked, we fucked all over this house before I emptied it. Um, I said, Look, um, I really don't need someone living with me, and I don't know what we discussed that made you feel comfortable enough to just stay for three days and not go to your job or home or to your wife or whatever you have to go to. But this is uh, this isn't gonna work. I, I, I'm about to be homeless, and I kind of need to concentrate on packing my shit to get it the fuck out. Um, but yeah, I, I had a, a really hot man just fall into my life. I don't know how. And and there is the gift of the brain thing. Like like shitty stuff happens and I don't remember it. I actually reached out to a friend and they're like, I told you to never bother me again. I said, well, when did you say that? And they're like, three days ago, we had that huge fight. And I'm like, I really, I'm sorry. And he's like, you really don't remember? I'm like, no, he's like, good, because I was an asshole. And I said, okay, it's all it's all good. Don't tell me what you were an asshole about. I don't want to remember. <laughs> you don't but want to if, do that again. <laughs> but if you're willing to, you know, to just go forward, maybe don't be an asshole again and let's not have that fight. Um, and, I, and I think one day I will remember all of these things because I experienced it. And the neuro tests show that the information is, is in my brain. I just don't have access to it. And sometimes that's much worse than others, which reminds me of fashion. Uh, how much stuff do you know that you don't always get to access? I, that is a really big question, right? Because like, <clears throat> you know, being my first day at a new job and training and whatnot, everybody's doing the, oh, hi, what do you do? And you know, what's your name? What do you like to do outside of work? And those kind of things. And, you know, when you start talking about, okay, well I design and I sew, um, and you want to be kind of periphery about it because you, you don't know. And then people start asking more and more questions and they're like, oh, I just talked about zipper feet for 20 minutes. 
should shut up now. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I, when I was, when I was teaching my manufacturing class, I said, no, don't you guys have any compensator feet um, for these sewing machines or Teflon feet? And, and not even the teacher knew what I was talking about. So I went off on a 45 minute dissertation on what compensator feet were and why they were so important. Mm-hmm. Like, so I get it. I get it. But that's the kind of thing that I know that I don't remember. I know. And sometimes I can't access what I know. Like I need to do something that I've done a hundred times, but I'm like, um, so my, my technique, and I don't know what you do when you need to, to bring a skill set that you know you have, out, but don't remember how to even begin to start it, is I just stop thinking and let my hands take over because my physical memory is impeccable. Right. What I do very similarly is I begin gathering the tools that I know that I'm going to need to do that thing. And there's something tactile about touching that particular seam ripper or that, that pair of snippers. And the brain goes, oh, I'm making the connection for you. Hang on. That, that, that's exactly it. It's muscle memory and tactile memory. So I literally just get out of my own way and I, I'll, I'll just sort of daydream and let my hands start fiddling with a thing. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That's I've got to start the rolled hammer. You, you don't feed raw edges into the rolled hammer. You've got to do a little bit of a rolled hem first, and then you wind it on. Um, but, like, you know, it's something I, I used to do on tablecloths all the time, but I hadn't done it forever. And just, like, I know I, I literally have done this to 10,000 tablecloths. Why don't I know how to use my hammer, my folder? Oh, there's been times when I walk up to my three-step zigzag that folds the elastic, puts the zigzag down at the same time, and I'm like... How do I? And I've done hundreds of, of things on this machine. <laughs> There's no excuse. The item that I'm sewing is always going the same way because it has to be fed okay. into the machine that way. You know, it's just, well, <laughs> it's just well, one okay. of those moments like grab the tools. So I have a scuff binder, and sometimes oh, I look, nice. sometimes I look at the scuff binder, and I'm like, what are, what are you? What do I use you for? I, I, and then when I was making masks, of course. Um, I, I was doing it all the hard way until I thought, oh, if I just got a knit tape and used the scuff finding machine, this shit would be done in seconds. And uh, so I just, I find it funny how memory works. And I, I think that people who haven't been in the industry as long as we have, who may not know as many techniques or machines or, or that there even is a scuff finding tool or a folding tool or an elastic feeding tool, um, they don't have as much to have to access. So they, you know, it's pretty easy for them to turn on their surgery and go. But for people like you and I who have worked with hundreds of machines and done thousands of applications, sometimes it really is a challenge. I'm glad to know that I'm not the only brain damaged idiot that, that can't remember how to do something simple like use a folder. Or like, even if it's been a couple of years <laughs> since I've had to service one of my machines, I'm like, I uh, forget how to do the timing on this. And, you know, you've got to kind of tinker with it and, you know, watch it, the mechanics of it. And then your brain goes, okay, okay, okay. I remember how to do this. Well, singers but yeah, are, there's definitely brand in there. Singers are always easy because singers put timing marks on everything, industrial and homemade. But you've got to remember that they're timing marks. <laughs> you have to know what the hell they look like. Um, Husqvarna and, and uh, uh, Juki also have timing marks, but they look nothing like the singer marks that we're more used to. So that, that's been interesting. But 
Um, I will tell you, I even have thread guides uh, uh, printed out and taped to every machine and indelible Sharpie ink. I write the needle number down on the machine because I literally, I've got thousands of packs of needles and sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what needle this takes. What is an XNZ41? No idea. I can't even tell you how many packs of needles that I have for machines I no longer own. <laughs> well, that's just worth you might you might I own mean, some of them. <laughs> yeah, I might. We, we need to get the needles and the machines back together. Um, okay, let's let's just have this is going to be a fun day. I know that it's one of our episodes, and we usually have a real topic, but I think that it's been a second since we've been able to have a, a fun with fashion friend fuck up Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. We didn't have a guest, so we're doing all of that today. I think. Um, mm-hmm. What is your weirdest machine that you couldn't live without that you don't use often? It's got to be my corset binding machine. <clears throat> so it's a double needle um, separated uh, bobbin double needle um, machine. And so that means that you can actually sew on so with it as a single needle machine, if you don't have anything put into the feeders of it um, and can sew on the right or the left side, whatever your preference is, if you want to use it as a machine like that, but it has a folder that enters to the foot that folds um, bias tape. So it folds one layer or sorry, I apologize, two layers of taffeta and one layer of flannel and all three of those layers are bias cut and the needles have been moved um, by a professional it was before um, me um, a little bit wider to hold spiral steel uh, casing for uh, corset boning. Yeah, and like it's you, a fun machine, and, and, right? And like, how often do you have to use it for that? Probably not every day, but when you need that machine, God fuck you if you didn't have that machine because that whole process would become a week-long process that probably takes you a few hours because you've got the right tool. Um, my, my absolute favorite machine that I rarely ever use that I could not live without when I need it is my, my fur machine. I have a, I have a fur machine that um, uh, actually is for, for sewing pelts together. It does a little itty-bitty corded seam when you, when you open up a fur coat to do a repair. You see how all of the pelts are put together with that little itty bitty mm-hmm. tightly rolled seam. I have that machine and I do re- repair fur sometimes, but I also make my faux fur coats with that machine. So that's why my faux fur coats always look so realist because I actually, I actually cut the faux fur into strips and, and um, sew the strips together as if they were, they were long um, pieces of fur hide. So we get those, we get the texture of a real fur coat that way. Without, without it looking so oh, off. that's so, nice. Yeah, because I'm crazy. Because you know we're because you know we're crazy. You know we're a little. <laughs> we're just a little. Well, out there. I have. It's true. My my mom's uh, aunt was a milliner, and one of the hats that she left unfinished is a fur hat, and that was one of the first things that I looked at. I was like. This is too neat to be hand done. What machine is this? <laughs> I, be- I believe the appropriate name of the machine is a pelting machine. A pelting machine. Yeah, pelting, pelting machine. For a pelting and it's machine. a singer? Uh, no, mine is some weird little Oxford Axis 
I mean, many companies made them, but it, it, it was not, it was just, they were just using the fur trade to put fur together. Anything that is a fur coat or a fur hat or a fur stool, uh, it, it has been run through. And, and it's weird because you don't sew um, front to back or top to bottom, you sew right, left to right. Right. It goes to, you put the pieces together and it goes through sideways and it makes that little bound thing. And they're really cool. I'll, I'll, if I have a picture of one, I'll send it to you. Um, and it, it looks like a little tiny box with, with you can see it, it uses a round needle. Um, it, it's just a cool machine. And I, and I might use it once every four or five years, but if, when I need it, I need it. If I get a, a fur repair and I don't have it, I'm going to be stuck with a, with a fur, a hand fur needle, uh, fighting with it and, and trying to make certain that I don't dig too deep into the fur pouch. So I love having that machine and I love I, I wouldn't know how to use it if I had to today, though. It would be one of those things where I'd be like, okay, I don't remember how to do this, so let me just play. Um, hey, can I give a tip? Yes, please do. Okay, so people who are making things out of faux fur, the biggest problem is sewing your seams together without getting all of your fur into the seam. That's a bitch. That is hard. So what you do is you get yourself a set of beard clippers, you clip the seam allowance of all the pile, so you don't have fur in the pile, and then you hairspray the pile away from the seam and sew it, and then rub it back out and you have seamless fur seams. Shut it. Shut the door. Yes, that's how you do it. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I would sit there with like a hand needle going, I know you wanna go together, <laughs> you two pieces. <laughs> Or once you sew it through a sewing machine, you're there forever with a crochet hook trying to get the pile back out because you yeah. you basically yeah. made one long vaginal looking thing out, out of hair. So it's it's uh, oh that's something else you know when when you when you sew uh, something incorrectly and you get the garment up in the seam, we always call those vaginas. You've sewn a silk vagina into this because <laughs> it's <laughs> totally like if, if a bit of the garment folds into a flap and you sew it into the seam you've got a vagina it's a beautiful silk vagina just the crazy shit that we've come up with but the third thing i taught myself no one ever taught me that i'm just like there's got to be a there's got to be a better way i can't keep getting the crochet needle out to get all the pile out and and, and up ripping the fucker and then you know just trying to get all that pile through the sewing machine was insane and I thought, well, if we take okay. if we take sequins off of the seam allowance to sew sequins, what can we do with the fur pile? And I thought, well, you just shave it off. Shit. That's amazing. I'm gonna have to try that because I there's a lot of um, rabbit here, um, and so I've been um, actually designing with some rabbit pelts recently as uh, design elements. Some of the clip in, clip out design elements that I've been working on. But that all of this kind of makes me think about, uh, I don't know if I sent you pictures of um, a vintage sewing machine that I picked up this weekend um, from Craigslist. No. Uh, I found a Franklin <laughs> treadle. And so Franklin, not um, of any relation to Benjamin Franklin. Um, but at the time when there was the um, Egyptian revival and resurgence, uh singer came out with this gorgeous machine that everybody wanted called the memphis and it was a uh, egyptian based beautiful decals right still in demand still in demand 
still in demand. And one of the other companies that were kind of riding on that same coattail was this Franklin company. And it was these three gentlemen that were um, starting the company and they had kind of like a falling out. And so the machines had actually been made before the company was formed. They seem, or like what I'm reading from history is that when they parted ways, each of the guys got a different number of the machines and would put decals on them mm-hmm. um, of their own. And so I've got to do a little bit more digging to see how old this particular Franklin is and from which one of these guys um, put their sticker on it. <laughs> but it's been fun learning that information and then also learning how to put the treadle machine back together. Oh, and I'm, I love a good treadle machine. Um, my, my great grandmother used to sew on one and I would fall asleep listening to the rhythm. And I've used them and my when I'm doing some like super, super delicate silk and I need the power of an iron machine, but I don't want to trust it to an industrial machine, I, it's all, I, I will go to a treadle if I have access to one. Because the treadle, yes. I mean, you can, you can sew as slowly as you need to to make sure that everything is super precise. Um, I love that. And most, oh, love it. is the machine, does it have a spindle bobbin or is it a, a round bobbin? It has a spindle, so it's the bullet-shaped one. Yeah, it's got to it's got to be pre nineteen twenty then, because by nine yeah. by nineteen twenty they were starting to do the uh, bobbin casing and the setting. That's going to be an amazing machine. I have an old singer with the Egyptian stuff on it that I picked up at a Goodwill oh. in Texas for I don't know twenty four bucks, and it, it, I plugged it in and it ran. It had been converted. It was obviously an old treadle machine that had been converted sometime to a, a, a small tabletop machine. But those treadle machines, you can also put an industrial motor on those bitches and they'll work. Well, yeah, all of my industrial machines were pre-motor. That's not true. I would say 80% of my industrial machines were pre-motor. So they were outfitted with a motor post. Some of those uh, silver submarines were definitely motorized, you know, to begin with. They were were like 1940s Mm -hmm. or 50s. I have two of those, I think. Um, yeah. Did Did you know that you gave me one of your double needle machines? Oh, uh, one of the Union Special ones, I, or one of the Singer ones? I think you gave me a Union Special double needle with, you know. With, oh my gosh, they're good, good. Yeah, and I and I don't know that you meant to, but it has. It, I have used it with love. It is an amazing machine. I kept three double needles um, and to give um, everybody an idea about, you know, what real estate that takes up in my studio, I have six industrials in my studio. So three of my industrials are just double needles that do different things. So, um, so you, they, do you sell like bra handles if you want one of them? Yeah. So one of them is for underwire casing and it has a double folder. Mm -hmm. So uh, one set of folders um, will fold uh, kind of in a flat placket um, on the top and on the bottom and they fold towards each other. So they create like a little um, wire pocket. I love that. And then the other one really is just kind of like a seam binder um, to really make some um, seams a little bit more flat. Uh, so I can put taffeta in there or I can put some type of, um, uh, you know, nylon-y stuff that is a little bit smoother um, when it's close to the skin. Um, but it's better than just a raw 
uh, seam or a surged edge, it's going to be a lot more comfortable than that. I, but love, I love those machines. I love, yeah, that's that's amazing. They're good machines. I can't even tell you how many parts I have for those. So you should come and look at my parts sometime for oh. <laughs> double needles. I, well, I would love to come and look at your parts. Um, <laughs> that should we say. Uh, you know, I had this crazy fantasy the other day when I was waking up that involved you. And no, it was not sexual, so don't worry. It was after I sent the man who fell into my life home. Um, I thought, you know what would be cool? Because we keep saying that you're going to uh, let me tutor you through some stuff. And I'm like, I would love to learn how to do that. I'm like, I want to go spend a month apprenticing for Megan and just be her stitch mm-hmm. bitch and just let her teach me like she'd teach somebody who never had sewn a bra. And then I would love just to then the next month have you apprentice to me for things like jackets and slacks and dresses and waist lines. Um, and just just really approach it like we've never made a thing, because I think that that's the, yeah. that's the way I learn best when I go into it, not knowing what I know um, that I, I learn. But I, I'm so fascinated and so um, often so amazed and impressed by what you do that uh I would love that opportunity. Did I already save this? I'm saving pictures. No, but it's so funny because like I have, I have said that thing, the exact same thing to Ty many years ago about you. I'm like, I just wish that I could go and sit and just sit there. And what do you want me to sew? Okay. I'm going to go. sew that. And do you know, do you know what's crazy? Like, like every time you tell me something like that, it always surprises me. And I'm like, why would she want to learn from me? But it's it's going back to that thing where I I don't know that we know how much we know ourselves because we're just mm-hmm. we're just not wired that way to to you know spend our our time and energy thinking about how clever we are. Um, and then I see my work and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I guess it makes sense that someone would want to learn from me. I mean, I I I, I make my sister the other day was showing me some things that she'd like made. She's like, I don't know if you'd want to make these because I know that that you only want to sew couture. And I'm like, I never said that. Uh, I wanted to be able to, to make couture, but I, I was sewing tablecloths along with the couture jackets. So um, I gladly will make you some cool knitwear. That sounds like fun. But I, I, I mean, it, it literally takes me running into one of my own pictures to go, oh, right. I do know how to do that. I did leave an entire team and teach them how to do all these things. Um, so I don't know how much I know. And that's another thing. I know what I know, but I don't know what I know and I forget what I know. Um, so I, that's why I think I love teaching again, because I have to remember not only what I know, but how to do what I know. And when I teach a thing, it, I, it gives me a whole different pathway to access it. So I end up knowing the thing even better than I did before I taught it. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. That is like nail on the head makes sense for me because when I'm teaching things, I'm also having to think about how different people learn things. And um, if I'm trying to instruct um, to a person that learns differently than I or anybody else in the room, I am definitely getting more of an in-depth one-on-one with that subject matter just by having to reroute how I'm teaching it. Right, right. It's like, like you, you, it's sort of like the, you know, I sit down and I do a thing and I just do it. I don't have to think about how I'm doing the thing. When I have to figure out how to teach it to all the different learning styles, exactly. I have to know, be able to explain the steps that I just take for granted. And in breaking those things down and understanding my own 
um, set of skills and how I apply them, I, it, it literally puts them in a whole new place in my brain. So now I have like this double knowledge of the thing. So I, I when, when I was teaching, I would often have students who had done a thing before teach um, the kids that missed a class. I would take the best two or three students and have them teach the skill that they had learned to the other students. And they always thought I was being lazy. I said, no, no, no. When you teach this thing, you're going to know it better than you did when you just knew it. And uh, 100% of them came back like, oh my God, I had no idea what you were talking about. But yes, I understand that whole technique now way better than I did before I had to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's reasons why our, our teachers would have us do something that seemed like it. Oh, that's so routine. I'm just the same thing. Come on. Right. But, you know, there is value in that routine. There really is. There is huge value in that routine. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm running out of stuff to say. Is there anything else? <laughs> You don't know anymore. We, we're, we're, I ain't got nothing else irrelevant. No, I, I will. T I will tell those of you that are listening that Megan and I, um, we have a very long list of things. Uh, you'll often hear us say we should talk about that, and Megan grabs a piece of paper quietly, usually, and, and, and writes it down. We did not look at the list today. We decided that we were just going to wing it. Uh, we both had some pretty um, emotionally. Uh, emotionally upheaving days and I, I think that it was just better for us to be able to free form free flow today and go free form than to, to have to talk about a subject that maybe our brains didn't want to and I love what we ended up talking about because I, I, I don't know that we would have put this kind of thing on a list honestly yeah I don't think that we would have put it on the list too because it, you know it really is that amorphous thing because when somebody asks us about, um, you know, what is in our knowledge base, you know, we really go to town of trying to access as much as we can and then pulling our resources and our friends or our books down and, and really educating ourselves at the same time. And it's not really something that I've even thought, I mean, like, I didn't know, I didn't know it. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, I would tell my class that, um, I probably know most of everything, and when we run across something that I don't know, I will teach myself so that I will know it. And, and I do. I'm, I'm often surprised by what I don't know that I should. I'm like, how do I not, how do I not know how to do that? Um, but, but I love that, that feeling when I realize that there's something that I just don't, I just know, mystery, mystery, no idea how to do that, mm -hmm. because it gives me an opportunity to go back and be a student. And I've said this before on our podcast, I, I think that that is the thing that keeps me so engaged with this career path and this artistic style is that I'm always going to get to be a student because even when I know everything, somebody has developed something new uh, or uncovered an old technique that hasn't been taught in 50 years. And so I get to learn again. And the learning is what keeps me engaged. The learning and the constantly improving and of course, then there's all the beautiful fabric and people I get to work with. And I love making people feel beautiful. I know you do too. Women who, who have no appreciation for their body, they'll put on some of your work and then they, they finally see how beautiful they are. And uh, I, I did a job um, fair once, a, a career day, excuse me, not a job fair, career day at um, Baylor. And um, one of the students uh, asked me the very simple question of what did I consider my job description? And I think I 
I sent them all a, a, a curveball. I said, well, my job description is to make all of my clients see themselves um, the way I do. I, I, I see their beauty in ways that they never will. And so I have only succeeded at doing my job when they look in the mirror and something I created for them and they see their own beauty the way I see it. That is my basic job description. Period. That's amazing. That's why, I, that's the part I love the most. I love the pictures and the fabric and the process. But when I, when I, when I dress somebody who's never seen themselves as beautiful and, and they, they go from sort of slumped over and they just blossom in the mirror when they see this beautiful thing because I took the time to see them. And I know you did the exact same thing. I've seen it. I've seen it with your models. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these women who just sort of present themselves very schleppily through life because they've been lied to and convinced that they're not beautiful. When you see their beauty and you put them in something that enhances and brings that beauty out, it's life-changing. And that is, that's the big payoff for me, honestly. That smile or those tears of happiness, that's the big payoff. I'll keep doing it as long as I can make women and men see their own beauty. Because that's something that not everyone ever gets to, you know? It's true, or maybe they see just glimpses of it, but, you know kind of being reflective about so much in our industry not being body positive that when you do have that moment where you see in your client's eyes that they're just like they they are more than satisfied with themselves in that moment and that's harder and harder to attain in our society it, it, it is because we even as the as our industry makes strides forward to embrace diversity and body diversity, we're still very insidious about how we do it, and um, there'll always be some prick like the owner of Victoria's Secret. There'll always be some prick oh, yeah. making people feel like they're just not beautiful enough, and that's not true. I mean, in the end, what is beauty important for Megan? It's to get you fucked. And I will tell you that <laughs> everybody is somebody's type, someplace. So everybody is yes. the most beautiful human being in the eyes of somebody out there. Don't don't settle for less. Don't don't please don't feel like you've got to change your beauty um, to satisfy somebody else's eye. Uh, you be the beautiful you that you are, and the person who finds you the most beautiful human alive will cross your path, and they will they will you will shine in their eyes the way you want to. Speaking of people finding their own beauty, I think we have a problem on our what susan <gasps> why susan has become addicted to chanel <gasps> and she asked me she's like what's wrong with me and i said darling you developed a sense of style that's why you watch <laughs> that's why you want chanel oh uh, yeah we, we may have to talk her off the ledge mm-hmm. though because she's i i think she's getting ready to sell the condo to buy some chanel oh I would urge her to check out what is his name? Yoshi Tadashi. Yes. Um, I like just, just check it out. Just check it out. Mama. Just check it out. <laughs> honey. Yeah. And also oh, I'll link it in the comments. Susan, you do too. You have two friends that can give you the Chanel feeling without being Chanel. So just reach out. If you feel like you found something that you have to have, I am certain that we can we can make you a version of it that's not a copy. Anyway. Well, and 
there's just so many great textiles out there um, that can really emote to other designers feel. But like if you're wanting to support local, that's a really good way to do it. Right. You know, right. Or one of your independent designer friends. Truly, um, truly, truly, truly. Um, okay. So before we go, we obviously have to talk about um, Isimiyaki. Yes. Itsy Miyake was the one designer, I've literally said this since I was 18 and discovered his work and, and found myself in awe in a way that no other fashion had ever put me in awe. I said to myself at 18, if by the time I die, I can be one-tenth as good as this man, I will have succeeded. And I believe yeah. that I have become, um, I have become nine-tenths as good as him. Uh, I still have many years to go, uh, but he has, he has, he has taken pleating and draping and fashion to a whole new place. And I am, I'm going to miss the fuck out of him being out there. He was a master. Yeah. It, it's watching all of these iconic losses um, in fashion um happen over these past couple of years yeah right it's really been i th i think that that's one of the reasons that i wanted to do this is that you know i felt like that there was um a little bit of emptiness and i wanted to create more of an opportunity of discovery um not just for myself but you know you know possibly being able to help lend that um, information to other people too and um it's, I don't know, it's really, it's, it's sad when designers that are still alive aren't able to design under their label name. And it's sad when designers that were such influential powerhouses um, are no longer here and you can only homage to them. Right, right. You know? And yet, um, here's the other thing. It gives us room to step up, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, a vacancy in the upper echelon has opened and I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe I'm going to have to just step my own fucking game up a little bit and step up a level and uh, take my place at the, at the head table. I don't know. That could just be my ego. I'm talking. waiting. <laughs> we can, we can make furs to wear um, to this. Right? <laughs> oh, only if you let me do them in electric uh, and neon colors. Oh my gosh. I got to borrow one of your first. Oh, oh yeah, right. So fun. I just couldn't. That blue, the electric blue one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, honey, you need a fur, number one. <laughs> we, and I have just the fur. Did I let you borrow the uh, two, uh, the two tailed Arctic white fur, too? If I didn't, I'm sorry. I no, have. I was obviously. Just the blue one. I was obviously being selfish. <laughs> Well, I don't. I think maybe I showed you what I was going to be wearing for my different things that I was going to, and so the blue one was the right choice. No, Absolutely. No, no, I'm. I am certain that I was just being selfish. Like that bitch is not going. To, <laughs> I'm not giving that bitch both of my good bosses. So, I, I'm sorry for that. If it happened today, I would totally let you take both of them. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, you know, I just have to be honest. You can't let all the good fur go. I loaned some fur to a drag queen in Texas for a competition, and that bitch never gave them back to me. Oh, it's okay. It's, a, it's okay. It's okay. It happens. It happens. It happens. It does. It happens, people. Well, maybe that's something that we should talk about sometime is like 
you know, what was the most painful piece that ever walked oh, <laughs> away from us? Right. Oh God. That's, that's a, that's a tough one too, isn't it? I don't know. Um, or, or even better, what's the most painful way you've ever seen anyone wear the piece that gets sold up? <laughs> I, I, I had a girl I sold a, a dress to, like like when I had my first store, it was this awesome, I mean, I had shredded chartreuse and gray and black fabrics and sewn them with sequins, and I made this crazy ragged um, um, cowl neck on this black ship that was pointed, and it was all gothic and wonderful and she bought it and I was so happy because I sold a design and then she wore it in the next Thursday with me. I it, remember chartreuse. She wore it with neon green, a big, huge eight inch wide neon green rubber belt and neon green pumps. And I so I wanted to buy it back. And I said, Benson, <laughs> literally, literally, like there was a moment where I'm like, I'm going to ask her if I can just buy that back. And I and I realized that this is it's what I changed the name of my um, my label from uh, transvestia dementia. No, it had nothing to do with transvestites, but just crossing boundaries of how we 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 best best just you know how we dress ourselves. Um, so I I uh, I changed the name to Manjula Mode because I realized that the fashion wasn't finished until somebody wore it, and they got to do things to it that I might not have done. And that had to become okay because, you know, I, I think it's like, I don't, I don't, I, well, I'm going to say, it. I think it's like this for you. I don't have any idea if it's like this for you, but sometimes it is very painful to let go of something that I've loved making or that, um, that has been particularly challenging or that I just adore and I want it to go. It's almost like adopting out children in a weird, 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 nothing like adopting children type of way, right? It's, 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 it's right. It, a part of yourself and your creative process is going to someone and you sort of want to make sure that they, they do right by it. And, um, yeah, you know, that's just, that just, that just can't happen. That doesn't always happen. No, it doesn't, it doesn't always happen. And, you know, that, that, you know, leaving your art babies to have another life with somebody else. Um, I, you know, I think that that emotional toll or, um, the, the amount of space that it occupies the artist brain is probably something that's not talked about very often either. Right. Right. You know, things that we miss or uh, I've run across pictures of pieces I've done before and I'm like, ah, oh, I missed that. Fabric. I missed that. Right. <laughs> hey, here's another fucked up question to ask you. And it's one of those things that I assume I'm completely alone in the universe and experiencing this. Do you sometimes find yourself loving the process of making something so much that the closer you get to finishing it, the slower you find yourself going? Should I show you the picture of my table that has like 10 bras not finished on it or what? <laughs> so, so that's a yes, you have experienced that too. I do the same thing to books though, honestly, Benson. Like I'll voraciously read a book until the very last chapter and I'll be so upset that it's almost done that it'll take me another couple of weeks just to finish the last chapter. No, okay, so that's good. I, I, I think that that's, that's wanting to relish the whole thing before I finish eating it. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's when I'm almost done with my dessert and I decide I will have a cigarette um, to just leave that last anticipated bite of goodness. 
I, maybe that's what that is. But you know, when uh, do, do you know? Are you familiar with Octavia Butler? Mm, the name sounds familiar, but she, I don't, she was not... one of the only black women who ever wrote science fiction, and she died um, shortly after her last book was published. I didn't read that book for five years because it was going to be her last ever published book. And I couldn't stand the thought of there not being a new Octavia Butler book to publish. And my thinking was also, I will not die if I have this book to read. I will find a way to hold on to life and um, so that I can get back to this book. And then there came the point which I was obviously, I've been told I, I had less than two years to live and I thought, well, better read the book. Well, that was 10 years ago. So I, I apparently got over the whole dying thing. But yeah, I mean, I, sometimes it's nice to have something to look forward to. Yeah. I, I, you know, and it, like there's some things that I don't think that I'll ever finish because the textiles that went into them now are too precious. Like there's some textiles that I got from Judy before she passed that I had started making into a garment that I can never wear. And uh, I, I can't bring myself to finish it. I can't bring myself to, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of love and baggage attached to some of those unfinished pieces because there's people that, you know, and experiences that are intricately tied to it. And I think that, you know, if somebody came in and I'm like, but I'm that size, and they were the right person, I totally would finish it for them. But, you know, there's some of those art babies that just never have all their pieces. Yeah, and I think I think that that's wonderful. Um, I, I think that that's, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only freak that does that, Meg. Because the things that I love the most, <laughs> I slow, I just find myself going so slow. And, I, and I, it took me years to realize that was because once I was done, I had to let it go. And I was so into the process and so into the making of the thing and so into the emotions surrounding it and what was happening in my life that I just didn't want that whole period to end. I've gotten better at letting go, though. I think that, that uh, that's something that I don't struggle with nearly as much as I used to. I can let go now. Ah, well, my darling, this has been a lovely, lovely, lovely episode. I hope that we said something worth value to somebody. I don't really, I honestly, I honestly don't care if we did, because uh, sometimes we need to do this just for us. Absolutely. And it's been um, a couple, it's been a hot second since we've been on the phone and it's nice to hear your voice and, and no, I can hear in your voice, the same thing you said, which is it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Always. And, and I hear it. I hear it. And so I'm thankful for that today, too. And I will tell you, the rest of that is, it's going to be okay. And if it's not okay, I'll die. And if I die, that'll be okay. So it is going to be okay. <laughs> ultimately, we're good. We're, ultimately, <laughs> it's all good. Um, I love you. I love you, too. I'll talk to you soon. Here if you need me. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Advanced Fashion Disruption. You can listen to all of our episodes at advancedfashiondisruption.com. Please click on Angel for Fashion and support Ukrainian designers. The war is not over. Uh, thank you so much for listening today. Sometimes spontaneity is key, and we really enjoyed talking about all of the things that we didn't really even knew that we knew or what each other's favorite machine was in our machine arsenal of 
sewing wonders. Join us tomorrow when we have a phone of fashion fuck up Friday. And then we'll find some more guests to join us next week for phone and industry fashion friend and our regular calls and episodes. As always, thank you so much for listening.